Unless you've been stranded on a desert island with a volleyball as your only friend. Or maybe you've been stranded in medieval France due to a quirk of time travel. Or even abandoned on Mars by your fellow astronauts. Unless you're one of these situations, you've probably heard about the elections that are coming up in the United States. You've heard about all the politics and all the people who are running for office. And at this point, uh, it seems like we can't have enough. And yet there are how many days until the election? It seems like it's been going on for a long time, and it's sure to continue for a long time yet. And we also realize that, that recently uh, we have a new vacancy on the Supreme Court. So now there are only eight justices instead of nine. And that vacancy has brought to light the importance of the position that a Supreme Court justice has in the United States and the power and the influence that that individual has in working with our government and in guiding the in interpretation of the Constitution, the freedoms that we have as Americans. So these are two very important positions that need to be filled and that are critical to the proper functioning of our government and of our society. They're high-profile positions of great responsibility. They're the leader of the free world, as the president is often called. Um, and the position of the Supreme Court um, is one of in, in tremendous influence and often overlooked um, in guiding how our interpretation of the Constitution will lead to our freedoms and our rights as U.S. citizens. And as individuals in this society, we have an opportunity and even a responsibility to participate in that election for the President of the United States. We have a duty, as a, our civic duty, to vote for the President that we feel will best influence uh, government and the functioning of government as we think sees fit. So this is a great responsibility that we have as Americans. In, and from youth, we're encouraged to participate in that process. We're encouraged to make our voice known and to let uh, the government know who we would support to be our president. And in fact, indirectly, by voting for the president, we also have an influence on who is appointed to the Supreme Court. While it has to be confirmed by the Congress, the appointment, the nomination is made by the president. And so indirectly, we are speaking to all branches of government. And while that is our civic duty and our civic responsibility that we have as American citizens, um, we have an even greater responsibility and a greater civic, uh, greater responsibility to the congregation here in this area as we're looking to appoint elders for the service in this congregation. And it's that appointment that I want to talk to this morning. We'll go through the qualifications of an elder. There are several that are laid out in the New Testament. And following on to the reading that we had this morning, we'll look at the qualifications for an elder. But as we go through the qualifications for an elder, there are several additional responsibilities that as members of the congregation we have in identifying men that are qualified and willing and able to serve as elders. And it's those responsibilities that I'd like to focus on, especially this morning. As we talk through what is an elder to be, what is an elder to do, and as a member of this congregation, what is my responsibility in participating in that process for appointing elders? So if you're still open to Titus chapter 1, let's take a look and again read, as we heard this morning, Titus chapter 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 3 are the two main locations for the qualifications of an elder. For this reason I left you in Crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, 
having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. And if we turn now over to 1 Timothy chapter 3, let's take a look at the second main passage for the qualifications of an elder. 1 Timothy chapter 3, just a few pages back in your Bible. We'll look at the first seven verses of chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of an overseer, it is a fine work that he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. There are many qualifications that we see both here and in Titus that speak to the responsibility and the requirements for those who would be elders in God's church. And yet we see that those qualifications boil down to a few key traits. If we turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. Peter finishes his letter those. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but providing to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and not all of you, and all of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And we see that the, what we have to look forward to is in fact the great shepherd will return. And the great shepherd will return, he will reward us with the unfading crown of glory. And yet we're seeing that the shepherds that are called to work with the flock, that are called to oversee the flock, are looking forward to that return of the chief shepherd himself. 
So it's a service, a picture of service and humility that we see in the eldership. Not one that lords it over, but one that works with and encourages and strengthens the body of Christ. So the elder must be an example of service, must be an example of humility, of one who can properly guide his own children so that he can guide the body of Christ. The elder must be an example of action. In this service, a service is not simply using your words and mouth to say that I serve you or I am, I am supporting you, but in action, showing that love and showing that service in what we say and what we do. And ultimately, being an elder is one of loving the congregation, loving the body of Christ, that, and encouraging each and every member and each and every visitor to be the most that they can, to realize the love that God has shown to all of us, and to be an example of that love to the flock. It is a position that's due respect. If we turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 5. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. It says, concerning the elders, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Now, as we've seen, if you've watched anything about the, after the passing of Justice Scalia on Supreme Court, there are a number of people out there in social media who have, uh, who have said some terrible things because they've, uh, they've completely disagreed with the man, with the individual, and yet they said some terrible things about him and his, his family being glad that he passed, and awful things that it's hard to imagine how somebody would say that. And so we have to realize that his role as a Supreme Court Justice deserves our respect. Whatever we think of the individual, of the person, the role that he serves as a Supreme Court Justice is one that is serving our country. And as any justice that serves on Supreme Court, there are numerous ways that we can disagree with them. But we can do so respectfully, and we can do so uh, respecting the position that they serve. My dad's a, a big fan of Band of Brothers. And in, uh, in that whole series, is a fantastic series about World War II, the 101st Airborne. And in that series, there's, a, there's an individual who's a, an incredibly poor leader. He's, a, he's an example of all the leadership qualities lacking in a person that needs to be a leader. And so the people underneath him increasingly show disrespect for him as a position, as a person. And yet, as it goes through the story, we realize that when you salute the person, you're not saluting the person, you're saluting the rank. And it's important to remember that that salute um, is equally for the President of the United States. We may not agree with or understand, but he is the person that's been elected as the leader in our country. We may not agree with all of the Supreme Court justices, but they are interpreting and implementing their interpretation of the Constitution, which affects each and every one of us and the freedoms that we have. So it's important to remember that the position deserves our respect. Now, it is possible that we can fall away from that position. And if we look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, We'll see an example. First Timothy chapter 5, just a few verses further on. 
says, do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest will also be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing so in a, doing nothing in the spirit of partiality. And so we see that the elders themselves, if there are two or three witnesses, need to bring that uh, an issue where the elder has fallen away. And so the elder is not above reproach. The elder can fall, and there is a method that we have of addressing that um, if the elder falls. And yet that position is worth our respect. It's important to remember the difficulty in, in serving the congregation, the responsibilities that an elder has. The elders responsible is if Mark James chapter 5 verse 14 for serving the sick. If anyone is among you is sick, let them call the elders and have them come and pray. In Acts chapter 20, we see in verses 17 and following that the elder is responsible for protecting the flock. That the elders responsibility is one of guiding the sheep. Let's turn over to Acts chapter 20 and take a look at that passage. Starting at verse 17. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 18. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time. Let's skip down to verse 28. It says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And so even from within the congregation, there will be men that come up speaking perverse things that need to be addressed, need to be dealt with. And here the elders are charged with making that, uh, with taking that responsibility. So the elders are also responsible for protecting the flock. If we turn just a couple of chapters back to Acts verse, uh, chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. I encourage you to, to read the chapter when you have a chance. But the situation here in Acts chapter 15 is a very new church. And there were some Jews that had been converted and were now following Christ, but continued to insist on the requirement of circumcision for, in order to be a member of the body of Christ. And when there was a discrepancy and a division among them, they called for the elders and the apostles to review the situation to hear the opportunity, to, to take the opportunity to hear both sides of the argument, and ultimately to make a decision on what requirements would be held for those who wish to become members of the body of Christ. And so you see the importance that here is, is that the elders and the apostles together in Jerusalem were responsible for deciding the, the, uh, the way that the congregation would be defined by those who were members of the body, how they would identify themselves and how they would be identified. 
So ultimately, circumcision was not a requirement for membership in the body of Christ. And yet the elders and the apostles spoke directly to that charge from some of the uh, Jews who were converted to the way. So it's difficult for the elders because they face difficult questions like circumcision in the, new, uh, in the early church. But they also realize um, that there are many in the church that would cause division. There are many that would be divisive. But there are also many more that would be loving and kind and looking to build the body. So the elder ultimately sees the good and the bad. Um, sees many things that, that the congregation may never see on a one-to-one -one basis working with the flock. And yet no elder is an island. No elder is in and of himself sufficient. It's important to realize um, that the challenges the elder fa elders face are also faced much uh, the same way by their family, by their children, and by their spouses. So it's a challenge that the elder faces, but does so willingly and encouraging the congregation. So the elders' work is very difficult. But as members of this congregation, I would encourage each one of you to consider how you can support that uh, work here. How you can support those who are identified as elders in this body. The elder requires uh, encouragement. I remember when we last had elders appointed, uh, we had a, a collection of prayers that were written by the congregation. And it meant a lot personally to know that each one of you was praying for, for me and for Bill as elders of this body. It meant a lot to me and it spoke very directly to me and encouraged me um, to look forward to working with each one of you and knowing that you were there for me as well. So the communication and the, the encouragement goes both ways. The elder is to encourage the body and the body is to encourage the elders. It must be done with honesty and with openness and with respect, both for the members and for the elders. So in a couple of weeks, two weeks from today, March 13th, um, you will be asked in a congregational meeting to submit names for individuals that you believe are qualified and willing and able to serve as elders in this congregation. So I would ask you over the next few weeks that you read through these passages in Titus and 1 Timothy that we've read today, that you would look through the book of Acts and see how the elders were critical to the congregations that were uh, in the New Testament church, how the elders functioned in the New Testament church, and how the congregations worked with the elders um, together. I would ask you that you would uh, look to yourselves uh, to see how you can support the elders. Consider those who are um, able to serve, who are willing to serve, as 1 Timothy chapter 3 tells us, must be both willing and able to serve in that capacity. Take all of the qualifications very seriously. In, in Timothy, in 1 Timothy and in Titus, we see the qualifications are very clear and they're laid out. Take them very seriously. Prayerfully consider the names of individuals that you would uh, think are qualified and willing to serve. I would encourage you to talk with that individual. If there's somebody that you think would be a good elder, take the time to call them, uh, to speak with them individually, one-on-one, -on -one, and talk with them about, about your thoughts. But participate in the, in the process. As in a few months, we'll have the opportunity to vote in the national election. Um, even more important is the spiritual welfare of this congregation. And the role that the elders play in that, in that spiritual health of the congregation is key and fundamental. And so I would ask that you consider your role and your participation in that. Um, as you have the opportunity to do so, please do participate. But that's not the end of it. Once elders are appointed, once elders are, are 
become part of this congregation again. Um, your role as the members of the congregation is to continue to communicate, to support the elders much as they are to communicate and to support you. So if, let's take a look at chapter 14 of Acts. Chapter 14 and verse 23. A very simple passage, but very important. It says, When they had pointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So we see here that the prayer and the fasting comes after the appointment of elders. So the prayer and the fasting is to dedicate the congregation and the elders to serve one another, to work together, and to focus um, their efforts and their thoughts on the betterment of the body of Christ. So I would ask as you have that opportunity over the next few weeks to prayerfully consider your role as the congregation. And if you're able and willing to serve as an elder, I would ask that you prayerfully consider that possibility as well. That you look to yourself to see your qualifications and to work toward that. There are some here that are not yet qualified to be elders or qualified to be deacons. But I would encourage you as well to look forward to that. Um, even though it's a challenging uh, position and it often is, is very tiring, it's incredibly rewarding to work with the individuals in the congregation and to know that they're working with you. And if you're not yet qualified but you have an interest in it, um, I would ask you to, to look at the qualifications for an elder and to work toward it, to be eager for it, um, and to, to desire it um, as a service to the body of Christ. And for those of you who are not qualified, but I would ask you to encourage those who are not yet qualified or who may soon be qualified to work with them, to strengthen them, to build them up, um, to look forward to that at work in the body as well. So this message has been for those of you who are members of this body, um, who will be soon asked to put forward names for those who can serve. But I would ask that each one of us, visitors and members alike, consider how we can work closely together in the body of Christ to build one another up, to edify one another, so that we can look forward to the return of the, the great shepherd uh, once again when he comes back. That promise has been given to us. We also have an opportunity here to provide an invitation. If you have not yet put Christ on baptism, if you have not put him on um, and become a part of his body in this area, um, we would ask that you would take this opportunity to realize that without him there is no hope of eternal life. To, to realize that the life that you've been living outside of Christ is one of hopelessness. Um, but we ask that you would listen to the hope that Christ has given to us through his sacrifice. That you would turn your life around. That you would confess that he is the son of God. That you would put him on in baptism, washing away the sin, and arise to walk in newness of life, putting on a new life as a new creature. And then walking faithfully um, in the hereafter to look forward to that promise that we've all been given of a crown of life. We ask that you would take this opportunity. If, it need, if you need, uh, we ask that you would come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.